Friends, we are continuing uh, in our series on Exodus this week, focusing on what it looks like to live a life with God, because that's what we all want to do after all, right? Live a life with God. We've seen the Ten Commandments. We spent lots of time with them. We've also seen a couple other commandments that offer what best practices look like for life with God. And today, we're coming to a ceremony where Israel and God make a covenant, Now, this section of Exodus might not feel like it's immediately applicable to our modern context. There's several practices within the text that are going to look alien to our 21st century sensibilities. However, this text tells us something about the God we serve and about the humanity we're a part of, the humanity that God loves. So as we read the passage, I'd invite you to listen not only to the strange practices, put a bookmark in there, we're going to talk about them, but also watch for information about God's character and the character of human beings. The passage we're looking at today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 24, verses 1 through 8. If you'd like to read along in your Red Pew Bibles, you can do so by going to the Old Testament on page 70. This is Exodus 24, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for God's word to you. Then God said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel and worship at a distance. Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. So Moses came, told the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up 12 pillars corresponding to the 12 tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed oxen as offerings of well-being before the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he dashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Moses took the blood and dashed it on the people and said, see the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we prepare to spend some time with this text, would you pray with me? Lord, we are here to read your holy word and ask it may read us as well. May its words of grace and mercy become our words through the power of your Holy Spirit. May it speak through us in the words of the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, your word made flesh. Amen. Now, I must have been nine years old one Saturday when I was playing with a group of friends on our cul-de-sac. I, I grew up for most of my elementary and middle school years on this cul-de-sac that was like a hill up from a main street. Great place to play uh, growing up. There were a handful of us who would run amok each and every day after school and over the weekends. And um, we were playing hide-and-seek this particular day. And, and on this day, I saw an opportunity to emerge from my hiding spot and sprint to base. Base was this gnarled tree in the middle of like a big clump of juniper bushes. 
Talk to me later about juniper bushes and tennis balls because they eat them. They sw- anyway, um, so I'm running for home base. I leap over the juniper bushes. I grab onto the gnarled oak tree, uh, this, this sturdy branch of it. I swung while looking over my shoulder to see like, if I had beaten the person who was seeking. Now, I didn't end up seeing the seeker since as I swung and turned my head, I missed seeing the other branch right in front of me, right, in fr- right that was disguised by the one I was swinging on. I swing up to it, and it slams against my head. I fell into the juniper bushes, and I clapped my hand right on my forehead where it hit me. Everything seemed in order, like my head was still there. We're good. So I started getting up to see, all right, how's the game going? Anyone else coming? Do I need to get out of the way? And I take my hand away. It's covered in blood. I didn't want to frighten anybody. I am an oldest child. I I want to do right by my parents. So I walked over to the front door of my parents' house, called through the screen door, "Uh, Mom, Dad, I I think I need some help. Now, by this time, not to get TMI, my my head is dripping through my hand. Uh, And my sister, my younger sister, five years younger than me, is the first person who sees me. And I think she was a little startled. She ran to get mom and dad. Now, I don't think there was any concussion or brain damage, although I'm I'm sure some of you are thinking now, oh, this explains so much about you, Pastor. Um, I did need to get stitches. Yeah, don't confirm that. I heard a yeah. No, no, no. (laughs) The sidewalk in front of our front door was stained for some time because I had dripped some blood on it. When blood marks something, it's hard to get out. Some of you might know this. Maybe you've had to wash clothes that were stained by drops of blood. Or or maybe your mind goes to the character of Lady Macbeth, if you're one of those Shakespearean folks, desperately trying to wash the blood off her hands throughout the play. These things make me wonder, looking back to our scripture passage, whether Moses warned the people prior to ratifying this covenant. You heard that he dashed blood on the people. Did, did he maybe warn them? Like, hey, maybe don't wear your Sunday best. Or maybe the idea was that the clothes they were wearing, having been sprinkled with blood, would always remind them of the covenant they made with God that day just because blood is so hard to wash out. They would have a visual reminder of the excitement with which they entered into a covenant with their Lord, the excitement with which they said, yes, I want to be called yours, God, the one who brought us out of the land of Egypt, the one who liberated us from slavery, the one who wants to live with us. The text doesn't say. The text does, however, say that the covenant was cut. This is not unusual. In the Hebrew Bible, covenants are always cut. They're not made, they're cut. It refers to the fact that upon the ratification of almost every covenant in the Hebrew Bible, animals would be slaughtered, both in preparation for a shared feast. Whenever you make a covenant, you want to celebrate, but also to mark the gravity of the agreement that was made. While the cutting of covenants and the fact that covenants are always cut, it might sound like just a fun Bible trivia fact. It points us to a larger truth. Covenants demand our investment. They have the potential to mark us and change us in profound ways. 
If you look back through the Old Testament, one of the covenants that God cuts with a, a man called Abraham in Genesis 15 involved Abraham cutting multiple animals in half, arranging them in a path, and he and God were going to walk through these animals together, almost as if they were saying, may the same be done to me if I do not fulfill my covenant with you. Now, although we don't cut covenants in the same way today, covenants still demand our investment. They still have the potential to mark us and change us in profound ways. Now, we mark our covenants today using other means, usually than the sprinkling of blood. We prefer symbols of water, like in baptism, or rings, like in marriage. And while that change has certainly led to religious spaces probably smelling better than the temple did because it was always having animals and blood in it, it probably means that we ask our custodians maybe to do a little less cleaning. Thanks be to God, Jeremy, for the work you do. I wonder whether this change is an improvement or not. Would we be better off if we had more visceral reminders of the gravity of the covenants we remember? Would staining our church clothes with the elements of our worship remind us that the covenant God has made invites us to be marked, to be changed in every aspect of our lives? Now, don't worry. I didn't bring food coloring to throw on you or blood. No, that's not going to happen. I won't be staining your clothes today. Probably not tomorrow either. Uh, but I do wonder how we allow ourselves to be marked by the covenant God has cut with us. Covenants shouldn't leave us the same. Covenants always leave a mark. And entering into a covenant with God changes us in profound ways. Now, you likely already know that this is not the last time in Scripture that God makes a covenant with human beings. In fact, part of the reason that you heard in our first reading that Jesus conscripts 12 disciples um, six of whose names we now know. Thank you, Jay. Um, part of the reason that he conscripts 12 disciples is because Jesus is consciously echoing the covenant made with the 12 tribes of Israel. Unlike the covenants of the Hebrew Bible, the covenant that Jesus makes, it doesn't require an animal sacrifice. Instead, he gives his own body to be the sacrifice. This final an ultimate covenant that God cuts with us in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the covenant of salvation and liberation from sin and death. This is a covenant cut in God's very body in Jesus Christ. God has given Jesus God's very self to be the sacrifice. Now, just as the Hebrew people were brought out of slavery in Egypt, freed to worship and serve God alone. So we too are brought out of bondage to sin and death, freed to worship and serve God alone. Just as the Hebrew people were marked by the blood of the covenant sacrifice, we also are marked by the blood of Jesus Christ, the ultimate covenant sacrifice. We don't always have a whole lot of language in our tradition around the blood of Christ. We don't use this language a lot because it's like, it's a little bit weird right? To talk about the blood that cleanses us. Because like we talked about, blood stains. But I, I, I think it's so important today to think about the blood of Christ. How has being marked by Jesus' blood changed us? How have we lived differently because of these marks of the covenant? 
I remember when I was a freshman in college, I was moving into this super cramped dorm. We're talking less than 200 square feet shared by three college freshmen. That's not a lot of space. Most people living in the dorms were freshmen because after spending a year in the dorms, you had better options available, right? Sophomores and, and upper class folk would find apartments or, or otherwise live somewhere else. And yet, I remember when I moved into the dorms, there were two seniors that I met, Fendi and Richard, who had come back to live in the dorms as seniors. These were mechanical engineering students. These were like young people who needed to have privacy to study, and yet their faith, they, they, they were faithful Christians, part of a campus ministry. Their faith moved them to come back and to spend time with freshmen, to, just as God has loved them, so too did they want to love others. They wanted to be present just as God was present with them. They were marked, in other words, by their faith. Their faith moved them to be with people who needed to hear about God's love. I wonder what are the ways that this covenant has invited you to show up in people's lives? What are the relationships that you've begun to invest in because of the love God has for you? How, do you, how have you gotten to know your neighbors? How have you gotten to know people who are different than you? Now, this isn't an issue of salvation. It's not like you need to do these things in order to be right with God. That's done, right? We've already been adopted and claimed as God's children. This is an issue of living as covenant people. In gratitude to the God who gives us life, what practices might we adopt? How can we respond as people formed and transformed by the covenant we've entered into with God? Maybe for you, there are spiritual practices that can help you mark and remind, that can mark you, excuse me, and remind you of the covenant into which you've entered. Maybe these are practices that grow your faith, like attending Christian formation classes, spending quiet time with God. Maybe it's joining the choir. These are ways that we can grow in our faith. Maybe, maybe there are practices that help you live out your faith, like getting to know your neighbors, get, being involved in their lives. Maybe it's serving at a community partner like Hope Ministries. Maybe it's shepherding children or youth. As we try to live as people marked and claimed by the blood of Christ, there will be times that we fail. We're going to mess up. We're going to, just as the Israelites did, say, all that the Lord has commanded us, we will do. Those of you who know the rest of the book of Exodus know that this does not happen. And yet God is still their God. We're going to screw up but we can always ask for forgiveness. That's why we practice every single Sunday confession, pardon, peace. Confession, pardon, peace. This is a practice that we have with God. We confess. We are assured of our pardon and we live at peace with God and with one another. So I invite you, live differently, even if you mess up. Now, after years of weather and likely some scrubbing by my parents, the blood that I left on our front porch slowly vanished. The mark that, left, that, that, that injury left on me, though, has remained in more than just brain damage. I see you. I'm much more careful 
with how I, you know, leap and use my body. I try not to injure myself. I only have one body. And I want us, too, to be marked. Not a mark that can be washed off, but a mark that stays with us. May we not allow the reality of God's covenant with us to fade from our lives. Instead, may we be a community that allows the covenant with God to mark, to shape, to transform us fully and completely, even if we don't get sprinkled with actual blood. May it be so. Amen.